Thank you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. So if you're, uh, if you're just now joining us, we've, um, we've been a comfort shatterer series for the past couple of weeks, and we're going to be diving back into that. If, if you weren't here last week, um, if you missed that sermon, man, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. My, my little brother, my, I'm oh, sorry, little, he's my younger brother, but he's a lot taller than me. Let's just put it that way. He's like 6'4". Um, but he was here last Sunday. He preached for us. He's an associate pastor at a church in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and um, it, it was a the focus of the sermon was the was gospel centrality, the importance of living a gospel-centered life, and it was so powerful. So if you weren't here uh, for that sermon, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that. Again, you can do that through social media, uh, the website, um, uh, different, different avenues that we have. We also have the church app. So go back, listen to that. But again, we're diving back into the Comfort Shatterer series that we've been in. This is actually the third installment, the third week that we're in this series. Uh, so far, where we've been in this series, we've tackled two kind of main big ideas. The first big idea that we tackled about three or so weeks ago was this. Jesus's call is all or nothing. The call of Jesus is, is all or nothing. So in other words, when we make that decision to follow Jesus to, as, our, as our Lord and Savior, we're stepping out in faith. What we're doing is we're making the decision to follow him with everything that we have and everything that we are. Not in perfection, right? There's no perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect in here. No perfect. I don't know why you know, bury my hand. No perfect people in here, right? The only one that is perfect is Jesus. So not in perfection, but in obedience and trust. And so that's kind of the big idea, the first big idea in the series that we tackled. The second big idea that we tackled a couple of weeks ago is Jesus' call to make disciples is a command, not a choice. Jesus' call to make disciples is a command, uh, not a choice. So in other words, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded every single one of us, not just the original uh, followers of Jesus Christ that you saw a couple thousand years ago that we read about in the Gospels, but every single one of us, every one of you individually and me, collectively, we are called to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And we talked about how contextually, how, how important, how incredible that scene was, because what happened was that was actually the last thing that Jesus said that he commanded to us before he ascended to heaven. It's been called the epic climax of Jesus' ministry. So in effect, what happened was Jesus gets to this point in his life and he essentially, and he's about to ascend to heaven, the very last thing he says. So he's essentially saying, because of everything that's happened, because of everything that, that I've done, I've, learned, I've lived this perfect sinless life. All the, all the miracles, all the ministry, the healings, the, the teaching, the sermons, everything that you've experienced, you've seen, the cross, the resurrection. Now, after all of that, go, therefore, and make disciples. And again, it's a command, not a choice. So that's the second big idea that we tackled. And that's kind of where we've been in this series. And hopefully through this series so far, you've, you've started to see that Jesus Christ is the comfort shatterer. Jesus is the comfort shatterer because he, 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 he doesn't suggest, he demands that we get outside of our comfort zones so that he can navigate the direction and the course of our lives. Because so often we try to hang on to that control, don't we? We like to hang on to that control. But Jesus wants to step outside of the comfort zones where he is in control. And he's navigating the direction, the course of our lives. And it's not always easy. A lot of times, actually, it can be hard. It can be painful. It can be kind of scary, too. But one thing that we can know without a doubt is when we're stepping outside of our comfort zones and faith and trust of Jesus as he's guiding and navigating the course of our life is that he will be with us every single step of the way. Every step of the way. And so that's where we've been in this series. And where we're going in this series today is, is Luke chapter 5, one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible. And um, does anybody in here know that God has a sense of humor? Raise your, raise your hand if you know God has a sense of humor. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, <laughs> he, he does, man. And uh, so I knew I had preached this sermon uh, roughly a year ago. And I was actually looking back last, uh, this past week. I was like, when did I preach this? It was, it was like the same text anyways, a little different. But um, and it was literally a, a year ago to this month, October 1st. I was like, wow. As a girl. So as, I was, as he was putting this series on my heart and the focus of it, and the fact that he is the comfort shatterer, this is a big text that he put on my heart um, really strongly. And there's a, there's a reason for that because there's a couple things that we see in this text that, that are essential for every single one of us if we truly want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. A couple of things. And, but, but the sad reality is 
these couple of things that we see in this text that, again, are essential to following in the footsteps of Jesus, they're so often completely missed. Or they're just looked past or, or skimmed past or forgotten. And the reason for that is because they demand that we get outside of our comfort zones. Because if we truly want to follow Jesus, the comfort shatter, then we have to get outside of the comfort zones and follow him and trust in obedience. So a couple of things, that, a couple of questions I should say that we're going we're gonna to see Jesus answer through this text in Luke chapter 5 is, is number one, who are we called to minister to? Who are we called to minister to? And the second question that we're going to see Jesus answer in this text is how are we called to minister to them? Who are we called to minister to and how are we called to minister to them? And as we see Jesus answer these two questions in this, check, in this text, Luke chapter 5, we're also going to kind of see this central theme, this, this, guy, this big idea, so to speak, kind of come into, uh, into fruition. And that's this, that Jesus calls us to meet others in the middle of their mess. Jesus calls us to meet others in the middle of their mess. That's our big idea today. Because, guys, the truth is Jesus meets every single one of us in the middle of our mess. And thank God that he meets every single one of us in the middle of our mess. And if we truly want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that means that we have to do the same. That we have to meet the other people around us right in the middle of their mess. Let's pray. Lord, we need you so desperately. I need you so desperately. So many of us and different ways we need uh we need encouragement from you we need direction from you so many of us need salvation i pray i pray for the people in this room that have never responded to the gospel whose eyes have never been opened to your grace holy spirit i pray that you do in this room what only you can do i pray for the gift of salvation and we submit, I submit to the fact that there is absolutely nothing I or anybody else can do. Only you can open their eyes in response to grace. And I pray that you would use me. And I thank you for the opportunity to be used by you to, to speak your word. As a broken, sinful vessel, I have to thank you so much. And I pray that you speak in me, speak through me. And that you would break down idols and things in my life and help all of us, even us as followers of Christ already in this room, that you would help us to branch out and to step outside of those comfort zones and follow you in full surrender and obedience and full just trust because you are so worthy of it. You are worthy of everything, everything that we have and everything that we are. And we thank you so much. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just flood this room, flood our lives, just take control of this service and speak your words. Help it to penetrate our hearts and our minds today. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Man. So today, uh, again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, um, and if, uh, it, just a quick plug too, I talked about this before, we've got a church app, um, so if you don't have the church app, well, again, we've got all the text, thanks to our text guru, text, did I just say text guru, our tech guru in the back, Josh, um, he does all this stuff, the website and all that, it's incredible, so thank him for everything he does, but you've actually got all of the text in order, because sometimes we'll skip verses, things like that all in order you've also got a place to take notes if you've got apple or android you have that accessible so if you don't bring the bible i encourage you to bring the bible but if you don't bring it if you don't have a place to take notes you have that available thanks to josh so you do have that luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be in that chapter um we're going to dive into three different men's stories we have the opportunity that's one of the cool things about scripture is when we, when we read scripture it's incredible it's like god's love note to us and we have the opportunity to actually step into their lives for a moment and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to step into three different men's lives. And these are true stories. These things actually happen. There is a divide as far as years, a couple thousand years ago, culturally, uh, religious, you know, as, as far as in, in terms of the Jewish culture. But guys, these are real stories, real men's lives. So keep that in mind as we dive into their stories. And as we dive into them, we're going to see, one, who Jesus ministered, the kind of people that Jesus ministered to. But then number two, we're going to see how Jesus ministered to them. So let's just check this out, uh, starting with Luke chapter 5, verse 12, which says, While he, this is Jesus, while he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, 
I am willing. Be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So we're going to pause right there. This is the first man's story we're going to dive into. And it's only two verses, but these verses are a couple of the most powerful verses in the Bible, man. I love them so much when it comes to seeing who Jesus ministered to and how Jesus ministered to them. So much that we can see in these two verses. And, and first off, we see Jesus is in a town. So he's going different places. He's constantly going different places, constantly mission-minded, ministering to people, always thinking about others and how he can minister to them. But then we see somebody else step into the scene. It's this other guy that has leprosy, right? And something that we have to understand about leprosy is it's a very, very cruel and nasty, disgusting disgusting disease actually somebody that had leprosy in that day and age they would be deemed by the priests declared uh, by the priest as unclean and so that would be like your identity marker um, the identity marker over your life not just from the priest but the entire society all the people around you they would know you your identity marker would be unclean so imagine that having that as your identity marker over your life and this, you know, leprosy, again, very nasty, disgusting disease, very debilitating. It would, it would attack the, the nervous system, and it rendered the victim, the person that had leprosy, completely unable to feel any pain. And so over a period of time, what would happen is you can't feel pain, and then infection would start to set in. And as infection starts to set in, it gets worse and worse, it starts attacking your flesh, just in parts of your body, and, and they start decaying and, and literally rotting away. And parts of your flesh, parts of your body, and it's disgusting, but this is what happens. And it's still, it still happens in other parts of the world, by the way. We are so blessed to live in a place where we do have medicine. We have different means where we can take care of these things, but this is still prevalent in other parts of the world. And so in this man's situation, flesh would fall off from his body. Literally, body parts would fall off as his body was decaying. Fingers, hands, toes, feet, other limbs would fall off off his body what happens for somebody that has leprosy is their body literally falls to pieces and that's what was going on in this man's situation and on top of that again the identity claim as unclean and so if that's not bad enough these guys were also shunned because they were unclean they were forced to live in isolation obviously nobody wants to touch them for fear that they're going to get this disease so nobody wants to even go near him Nobody will look at him. He's, he's outside of the city, completely isolated by himself. Nobody will look at him. If anybody did happen to glance at him, it would be in complete disgust. And we'll talk about in a moment what they would do when they saw him. And it was horrible, complete disgust, living in isolation. And, and all the th- think about all the things that we take for granted so often. Think about you know, being able to look at someone and have someone else look at you and acknowledgement like, I see you, okay? And, and you're there, you matter to me right? I I see that you're actually here, and I want to spend time with you. Maybe you sit down and you have a meal with somebody, or or you share a couple of, uh, a cup of coffee, or you you talk to them at some point. All these things, the blessings, the benefits that we have, that we just take for granted for all of the time. This man didn't have any of that, none of it, and somebody just touching him, like giving him a hug, or a pat on the back, or a kiss, any kind of physical affection, any affection whatsoever, did not exist for this man nothing shunned in isolation unclean as his body rots to pieces and then what would happen is if somebody were to come in some kind of contact with him not even necessarily right there at him but like it could be several feet away even if he's minding his own business outside you know of the city like he's supposed to be somebody meanders outside of the city they happen to come into some kind of contact with him and he's standing there minding his own business what he had to do is he had to shout out scream unclean unclean an acknowledgement of the fact that he was unclean so that that person that saw him could then shun him and walk, really really even sprint in the opposite direction, which is exactly what they would do if he saw anybody. And oftentimes what people would do in that day and age, they would actually carry rocks in their pocket. Um, and if they didn't have any rocks, they would just pick up rocks on the ground. So if they saw this man, even if it wasn't his fault, again, they just kind of, they started walking up, you know, kind of in his direction, didn't realize it, and all of a sudden they get close. They would take these rocks and they would throw them at him. And they would spit at him. And they would cuss at him, saying things like, man, you'd be, you'd better if you were just dead. You might as well just die. Why are you still alive? You're disgusting. Like, you're, hey, look at you. You're disgusting. 
and saying these, that, that's the, if he had contact with people, that's the kind of contact he would have. And the text doesn't tell us a whole lot about this man's life, but there's no reason to think that this man didn't have a family, like a wife and kids. No reason. In fact, in that day and age, you know, they, they would marry their kids off at a certain age. It was actually relatively young, and so there's no reason to think he wasn't married, didn't have kids. And a lot of times with the disease, the, the onset of this disease would kind of come a little bit later on in life. And so I'm picturing this guy maybe having a wife and kids, and all of a sudden he wakes up one day, he's got this stuff going on in his skin and feels different, like I can't feel, you know, certain things, what's going on. He goes to the priest and he says, no, you are unclean, get out now. Can't even go back and say bye to his family, that's it. He's shunned by everyone, including his own family, possibly his wife and his kids. So he's in this scene, and this is what's going on, just living a horrible, horrible life in isolation. Outcast. And then at some point, we don't really know exactly how, but he finds out about Jesus. Here's stories about him. Again, we don't know. I'm, I'm kind of picturing if, you know, if I'm in this situation, maybe what would I do in this situation? Shun from everybody else in isolation. And man, I'm a hugger. I like people, so I would, I would go crazy not being able to just, you know, see somebody, talk to someone, give them a hug. And so I'm thinking maybe he went to the outskirts of the city. Maybe he even like tucked, ducked down behind some kind of a cart or something so nobody would see him because they would throw rocks at him and cuss at him and all that if they did. So maybe he's hiding just to be able to see people. Just to be able to see people interact. Like, man, I know I can't see them. I know I can't go up and give somebody a hug. I know I can't have a conversation with them. But maybe I can just see somebody else having a conversation. Maybe I can just see some. Maybe I can you know, help me feel like I'm not completely alone, like there are other people around. Or maybe if he had wife and kids, maybe I can see my baby girl today. Maybe I can see my little boy. Maybe I can see my wife today. I can't go up and give him a hug, but maybe I can see him. And, and maybe that's what's going on. And through the course of doing this and looking around and probably keeping a little hood over so nobody sees him, he overhears these conversations about this man named Jesus. And he hears about the things that he's teaching, the things that he's saying, and the things that he's doing, and the miracles that he's performing. Somehow he hears about Jesus. And then when he hears about Jesus, all of a sudden, something clicks and he's like, I have got to get to Jesus. I've got to get to Jesus. And so this man makes a beeline to the feet of Jesus. I mean, holding nothing back. And think about this, the rocks being thrown at him, uh, the cuss, you know, people cussing him, yelling at him, uh, you know, spitting at him, everything. Every, the pride, the fear, everything goes out the window because nothing was going to keep him from getting to the feet of of Jesus. And through this text, we see three different responses from this man that are, that are so key. They're so important for us. And don't miss this. For one, the first response is this guy understood and noticed the fact that he was filthy, that he was unclean, and that there was nothing that he could do to save himself. Nothing at all. He, he was hopeless. There was nothing he could do for himself. He understood and he recognized the fact that he was filthy. But number two, he recognized that Jesus Christ is the only one that could save him. The only one that can clean him. And number three, absolutely nothing was going to keep him from the feet of Jesus. Nothing. So he makes a beeline through the rocks, the cursing, the spitting, everything. Essentially even risking his own life because he could have been even stoned to death by these people. But nothing was going to keep him from Jesus. He gets to Jesus. He falls down to the, the feet of Jesus. And what he does is he gets to the feet of Jesus. Not only does he get down like this, but he actually is, it says, the text says his face was down. And he was, he was down on the ground, face down. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the response that we see from Jesus is so incredible. It speaks to the, the very reason that Jesus came to the earth. Check out what he says, verse 13. Reaching out his hand. This is what Jesus does. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And so you might be asking yourself, well, why is this so amazing? That's what Jesus does. He heals people. Why is that so amazing? He teaches. He heals people. That's just another story, dude. The reason that this story is so significant, this healing right here is so significant, is because Jesus took the time to look at this man when nobody else would look at him. Nobody else would even think about looking at this guy, giving the time of day. He took the time to listen to this man when nobody cared what he had to say. They wanted him dead. He took the time 
to actually spend time with him, show him that you matter to me, you are valuable, I see you, when everyone else just completely shunned him. And then after all that, the most amazing part about this is not the fact that he healed them, it's how he healed them. Because the text says, first, after he did all that, he reached out his hand and he touched his, he touches this man. And his rotting, stinking, disgusting, decaying flesh that is falling from his body. And remember, the text tells us he was covered from head, I mean, covered in this, from head to toe. So no matter where Jesus touches him at, probably like on the face, this dude has leprosy there. And he touches the man with his hand, the God of the universe, when nobody would ever even dream of doing that. And then after all of that, he heals him. Because we've got to understand that Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus is the God of the universe. He could have backed up and said, okay, you're healed. But he didn't. Jesus stepped willingly into this man's situation, into his mess, right in the middle of it, touched him right where he was at, right in the middle of his mess, showed him love, showed him compassion before he was healed. And then after all of that, then he healed him. Then he healed him. And he didn't have to do it that way. But what this shows us, guys, is that God, Jesus does not wait until you know, we have things under control in our life. He doesn't wait until you're struggling with anger, you've got the anger issue under control, or with lust and pornography, whatever it may be, that you've got that, you're not looking at that stuff anymore. You know, you're going to church enough times, you're praying enough, you got the Christianese jargon down, you memorize enough scripture, something like that, you say the right fancy prayer or something. Jesus doesn't wait for any of that. That's not what this is about. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done. His perfection and his righteousness that covers us. Because the only thing that Jesus is waiting on from us is first to recognize, just as this man, to recognize that we're our own filth, our own struggles, and the issues in our life that we can't heal, we can't save ourselves from. It is impossible. It is hopeless on our own. And to recognize that, our own filth, that we can't save ourselves. But the, the second thing is to recognize that Jesus Christ can do something about it. But he's the only one that can do anything about it. But then number three, just as this man did in this story, to hold nothing back and to sprint in the direction of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, and crying out, Lord, save me, heal me, cleanse me, set me free. Holding nothing back. I was just the first guy in this story. We're just getting warmed up. Jesus is just getting warmed up here. We're going to skip down to verse 17. We're going to see the second guy in this story. Let's check this out. This is verse 17. It says, On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Uh, since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowds or massive crowds around him, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, this is what Jesus said. Check this out. Friend, your sins are forgiven. But we're going to pause right there. We're going to press the pause button because a lot of times, man, we, and, and when I say we, I'm in, I mean, me too, okay? We, we, we all do this. We struggle with this. We will quickly skim past certain parts of texts. I mean, and again, I struggle with it too. And so, for example, in this text, we might see, okay, paralyzed dude, uh, you know, gets lowered down. Jesus sees him. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Okay, what happens next? We keep on going, and that's it. But right here, something mind-blowing, earth-shattering just happened, like, mind-blown, okay? Cultural, religious norms shattered out the window. That's the name, comfort shattered, Okay? Jesus did something incredible because in this text, again, don't skim past it. This dude's paralyzed. He's he's paralyzed, right? And we don't know if he's a paraplegic, so he's paralyzed from the the waist down or quadriplegic, you know, like, uh, you know, seasick, something like that. So a neck down type of deal. It could be either or. We don't know. He was paralyzed regardless. That's that's his situation. But did Jesus say anything about his, his outward paralysis? He didn't say anything about that. 
This, Jesus looks at this guy, this paralyzed man, paralyzed, and what does he say? Friend, your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus says to him. And I don't know about you, man, but I, I'm just being honest. Like, I am a broken, simple man in desperate need of God's grace every day, okay? And so when I press the pause button, and I honestly try to take myself there, and I think, okay, David, if you were in this scene, what, what, what would you do, right? What, what would I be thinking? And I'm going to be honest, man. If I were like one of the disciples in this scene, press the pause. Like, right now, we can go back. We can read this text. We know what's going to happen. But they didn't. In the scene, you know, it's going right then and there. So imagine this. We're in this room. It's crowded. It is so crowded. Nobody else can fit into this room. Jesus is in the middle. He's ministering. He's, he's talking. And, and it's so, nobody else can even come in. And then all of a sudden, as Jesus is talking, you hear something going on up there. And then this, this like, bed type thing, stretcher starts coming down. Now, obviously, these guys probably did not just, like, you know, drop this guy on the floor. Hopefully, they didn't do that. That would be awkward. Um, but so, so they're slowly lowering this man. So as we're, if we're watching this, this is like almost slow-mo. Like, what in the world? It, this is weird. What is going on right now? What in the world? Like, this stretch is slowly going down. Every, I mean, if, if you don't think everybody saw this, man, they're hearing what's going on before he ever even comes down. All of a sudden, everybody sees it. So everybody's attention is now on the stretcher. From Jesus to the stretcher, like, what in the world? And then as it comes down, you see there's a man there. Oh, this dude's paralyzed. There ain't no question mark about it. This dude's paralyzed. Obviously, everybody in the room knows it, okay? Then he comes down, he gets to Jesus, and so we're, we put ourselves in this scene. If I'm honest with myself, I'd probably be sitting there, okay, well, what's Jesus going to do next? What's he, what's he going to do now? This guy's here. This is crazy. I don't know what's going on right now. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? And then all of a sudden, we're leaning in, and Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. I'm just being honest. I'm a simple man. If, if I were in that scene, as I've thought about this, one of the first disciples, I might be tempted to go up to Jesus and tap him on the shoulder and be like, Jesus, did you see his legs? This dude's paralyzed. I don't think he's here for sin. I think he's here because he's paralyzed. He, this dude is here for healing. Like, I'm just being honest. If I were in that scene, I would probably be thinking that. And if you're honest with yourself in this moment, if you don't know what's going to happen next, probably be thinking the same thing. And that's the point. That's what's going on in this scene with all these people. They're like, what is happening right now? The dude's being lowered down for one. And then two, he says, your, your sins are forgiven. We're going to talk about that in a moment because he completely shattered uh, religious norms in that one. Crazy. But then he doesn't even talk about the paralysis as though it doesn't even exist at all but see what jesus wanted this man to know along with everybody else in that room and all of us as the readers and the hearers of this today to know is this that this man's outward paralysis was not the deep issue the deep struggle that he was that he had in his life there was a much 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 deeper issue a much deeper struggle an internal deep paralysis that was literally like a cancer around his heart around his soul that was suffocating him and spreading all throughout his body systemically and killing this man from the inside out and Jesus saw through the superficial layers that everybody else was looking at to the deeper parts of this man's soul and this man reached Jesus reached in and he healed him and he healed him. That's what we, guys, what we have to understand is no matter what's going on in our life and the struggles, the outward struggles that we face, the biggest core root issue, the deep paralysis, so to speak, that every single one of us has is the sin issue that is eating away at our heart and our soul like a cancer from the inside out. Every one of us. And then the thing is, too, regardless of our situations, Regardless of what we have going on in our lives and our struggles, when we receive that internal healing from Jesus, that deep-rooted healing that every single one of us needs, that's, even, that's when a paralyzed man can get up and walk and even sprint in victory. No matter what's going on in your life on the outside. But something else that's really crazy that happened, I mean, again, mind-blowing religiously, he just shattered like their religious norms 
you know, completely all to pieces. And that's the fact that he forgave this man of his sins. And so if you think about this, like, like we can forgive each other if, if, if you do something to me, like if you were to walk up to me and you were to just like smack me or something, you know, and I hope, don't do that. That'd be really awkward. But if you did that, I could forgive you, right? And I'll forgive you, you know? And uh, so, yeah, um, and I, I'd have to pray through that. But I would forgive you. And so, but if I, in turn, if, if, if I were going up, and let's say you smacked me, I forgave you, but it was superficial, I didn't mean it. I see you in a coffee shop one day, and I walk up, you're drinking a cup of coffee, coffee, and then I go up to, and I grab that cup of coffee out of your hand, I start drinking, like, this is my coffee, right? That would be horrible, don't ever do that either. But if you're to do that, it, then you would have the opportunity to forgive me. Why? Because we did something, I did something to you, you did something to me. We can forgive each other when we do something to each other. But something that we cannot do, none of us can do, is outright forgive someone of all of their sins, past, present, and future. We cannot do that. Only one person can do that. Who is that? It's Jesus. It's the God of the universe. Only God. And they even are about to say this in a moment. Only God can forgive. So what Jesus is doing, he's just completely shattering the religious norms. And it's blowing their mind. We're going to see it here in just a moment. Jesus is publicly declaring the fact that he is God in the flesh as he heals this man's deeper internal paralysis that is eating him up from the inside out. Check out what the, because there's Pharisees, there's religious leaders that are in this room, and they are going nuts. They're like, what is going on? Check out how they respond to this. Verse 21, it says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? In other words, this dude is nuts. Who can forgive sins but who? God alone. Only God can forgive sins. But perceiving their thoughts, so Jesus then listens to their thoughts, okay? Like if, they, if their minds weren't blown already, I mean, what they're about to be blown right now. Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your heart? If Jesus looked at you and said, why would you just think that? That's crazy. That, that, would be, that would blow my mind. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say get up and walk? But, and catch this, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So pause there for just a second. Why did Jesus heal this man's outward paralysis? Was it because that was his deeper, that was, that was the root issue in his life? No. He healed because it was a sign. It was a sign of who he is, his power, his authority, the fact that he is God, that he is in control. He healed his outward paralysis because it was a sign of what he was doing internally and the fact that he was God. Verse 25, immediately he got up before them, this is the, the man with paralysis. Picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God. And they were all filled with, with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Their minds were blown by what Jesus had just done. But something I want us to notice in this text is the mindset of the Pharisees. Because the, minds, the, the Pharisees were so superficially minded these guys they, they were all about trying to go really deep they they'd go deep in scripture they would memorize have like the old testament memorized and they would try to pray just these fancy prayers trying to sound deep act deep you know looking really puffed up but in their search for depth what they did was they completely missed they completely skimmed over the simplicity and really the beauty of it all which is the fact that God cares more about our heart, the internal struggle that we have with sin that is eating away at our hearts and our souls like cancer. He cares more about that than he does our actions or the physical or superficial things that are going on around us. See, if we're honest with ourselves, and don't lie, you're in church. If we're honest with ourselves, we are very here and now focused, aren't we? A lot of times, and I'm the same way, man. I'm the same way. It's hard to see almost like in front of our own nose. Past today, we are so focused on today, what's going on. I can't believe this. I'm struggling. I'm never going to get past this. This is horrible. I need some help right now. I need help with this. We get so here and now focused, so right now, today focused. But here's the thing we have to understand. Jesus Christ is focused on your eternity. Jesus is focused on your eternity. 
And so if you think of God's blessing as like this feast, so th- metaphorically, you think about this feast. We get so focused on eating these little breadcrumbs, and we're like, we hear about this, the blessings that God has up ahead, but we're like, no, i got to take care of myself now. I want this right now. I just want to eat like little breadcrumbs. i, I got to have this to take care of myself right now. But the thing is, Jesus wants to focus on the deeper root issues so that we can have that feast with him for all of eternity. That's what he wants. He cares more about our eternity than right now. No matter what's going on in your life, the hardships, the struggles that we are facing right now, the deepest core root issue of all of our lives is the sin that's eating away at us like cancer. And, and I want to hit on something too. I'm not, I want to make sure we understand I am not sweeping other things under the rug. Okay? I'm not sweeping other issues and struggles, health issues, relational issues, loss and financial issues, uh, whatever it may be, addiction. These things are real issues that we struggle with. Just like this man's paralysis was real. Completely was, uh, was, was really limiting his life and struggling, he was struggling so badly. I'm not sweeping those things under the rug, okay? Hear me on this. I'm not. And in fact, if you're here today and you've got some issues, you've got some struggles, you're really struggling, we'd love to talk with you, we'd love to pray with you. I would encourage you to continue praying in that healing process, okay? I want to make sure you understand I'm not saying that we sweep those things under the rug, Okay? But what we have to understand is that salvation, the the, the salvation for our soul is the healing that all the other healings that Jesus performs all point to. Okay, And not just in the Gospels, but I'm talking about even healings that you hear about that you see even today. All the other healings that are performed, outward healings, are all just signs of the internal healing, the salvation for our soul that every single one of us desperately needs desperately needs when this man was healed outwardly his physical paralysis that wasn't the deep seated issue in his life he had already received the deep seated issue the, the healing that he needed the outward healing the outward paralysis when Jesus healed that guys that was just the icing on the cake that was icing on the cake the true healing had already begun And there's something else that we see in this story that's really incredible that we can't miss. And that's, it's about our relationship, the horizontal relationships, the people around us, and the importance of those relationships. Because when you look at this story, this paralyzed man, could he get to Jesus on his own? It was was completely impossible. This man could not get to the feet of Jesus on his own. He needed people to come alongside of him, to surround him. And not only that, but they they pointed him in the direction of Jesus, but then they kept on going. They went deeper than that. These men physically carried this paralyzed man. They met him where he was at, in the middle of his situation, in the middle of his deepest mess, and carried him all the way to the feet of Jesus. This gives us an incredible picture, guys, of what Jesus longs for the heart of Jesus for his church for every single one of us globally but then also here at Victory Church to be people that would surround each other to lock arms to to help point each other to Jesus but then also even to help carry each other to the feet of Jesus that's his heart for us as the church but the sad reality is so often we don't do that do we if we're honest so often we don't do that we, we get very kind of self-centered. We start thinking about what's going on in my life. Again, getting very here and now focused, but not even focusing on others here and now, but focusing on me here and now. We could get really prideful and start thinking that we're better than other people and judging them and not helping them. Or we can go on the other side of things and start getting fearful and like, oh gosh, I can't do this. And when in reality, it's kind of the fearful thing is not trusting God. And we start just getting internal. We get started getting puffed up or fearful and we're just crippled and we do nothing. Rather than being in the hands and feet of Jesus and meeting people where they're at in the, the middle of their mess, pointing them, carrying them to the feet of Jesus, what we instead do is we get into our comfort zones. This is my comfort zone today. Wish it was a little bigger, but that's okay. So we get in our comfort zones, and we, and we stay in them. We stay right here because I know this place, and 
It's a little awkward. It's a little cramped. I'm not very comfortable right now. Literally, I'm actually not very comfortable right now. But uh, here we go. I'm sitting on that. But, uh, you know, I know this place. I've been here for a long time. It, I, you know, I hate it. It's a love-hate relationship. I hate it. And Jesus, I, I wish you would heal me. I wish you'd heal me. But no, not right now. Not right now. No, no, hold on, hold on. No, don't, don't heal me yet. I want to hold on. I want to hold on. Jesus, heal me. No, wait, wait. No, don't, don't heal me yet. Don't heal me yet. And we get so comfortable. We get so caught up in ourselves. We're right here. And, and we don't like it's uncomfortable. But at the same time, we know it. And, like, I kind of know what's going to come up on the next bin. I kind of know what to expect in my life. So I'm going to stay right here and... All the while, all these people that we are surrounded by are hurting so badly. So many people that are dying without knowing the love of Jesus that not only need us to tell them about the love of Jesus and explain scripture to them that shows them the love of Jesus, but to actually show them the love of Jesus through our actions or the grace of God through our actions that needs to hear the, the whole gospel because maybe somebody has, has stuffed some garbage down their throat and now they've got this idea of Jesus or of God as this like overbearing evil father when the truth is he is a loving father and they don't understand the gospel but they so desperately need us to go and tell them about the truth of the gospel because we are the people that Jesus is, has planned to use to spread the gospel but we don't, we sit here and we do nothing. And something else that we do is we point, we're like, man, I wish somebody that would do something over there, look at that person, they're hurting so bad. I wish somebody could do something. Like, gosh, or maybe it's another country, or maybe it's like even in your county, maybe it's even your next door neighbor. And you're like, man, I, somebody needs to do something. That guy, I mean, I wish somebody that would just do something. They're hurting so badly. Maybe if I, if I could just reach them, maybe I can get over to them, but no, I'm going to stay right here. Or what about that person or this person? And we just sit here in our comfort zones and we do nothing. But guys, if we truly follow the comfort shatterer, he demands that we get out of our comfort zones. He demands that we get outside of our comfort zones into those radical zones where he is in control of our life. And what happens is we start to see miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? Because we are no longer in control. We are no longer the ones that are working to do, try to do something that we, we cannot do. We can't do it in our own life. Why in the world would we think we could do it in anybody else's? So he is navigating the direction of our life. And we're at a point where it's like, God, I am scared to death right now. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling. I need you. I'm even struggling with faith right now. I need you. Please help me with my unbelief, with my anxiety, with the struggle. I need you so badly. But Jesus, I trust you. And so I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going I'm to trust you. And you know what he says to you? I've been waiting. I've been waiting. All right, and then you start to see miracles happen in your life and in the lives of the people around you as people start to get transformed because God is working in and through you in miraculous ways. Every single one of us as followers of Christ are called to get outside of our comfort zones, trusting Him, obeying Him, that He's going to take care of us, that He's going to provide, and that He's going to perform miracles in and through us. We're going to check out one more story as we kind of wrap this up with this last story to see how Jesus ministers to people, who he ministers to, how he ministers to them. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It says this, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he, Levi, got up and began to follow him. Began to follow Jesus. And so... In order to kind of really understand this, we have to kind of understand culturally um, and situationally too, kind of the context of the situation. So when we think about tax collectors today, what, what goes through your mind when you think about tax collectors today? We all get the warm fuzzies, right? When you think about taxes, don't lie. Mm -mm, no. So, I mean, if, you're, if you are listening to this and you are a tax collector, I love you very much. I hate what you do, but I love you. And um, so even today, it's like this uneasy, like, oh, tax collector, gosh. Again, I love you if you're a tax collector, but hey, what you do. So, um, but as much as we kind of cringe when we think about like tax collectors, you multiply that several, 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 several times over. That's how they felt in that day and age. You cross that divide a couple thousand years culturally, uh, what was going on there. That's how they felt several times worse. In fact, they had a separate category for tax collectors. You had sinners, right? Sinners were, were bad. These guys are bad. These are sinners, right? And then you've got tax collectors. Worse. Scum 
of the earth. Lowest of the low, worst of the worst. Completely separate category. Because what these guys did, they essentially worked for the Roman government, right? And so what they would do is they would ta- collect the taxes from the Roman government. So people would line up. So imagine lining up with your family. You go to pay your taxes for the Roman government, right? Which you're not very happy about that anyways. And the fact that these guys are working for the Roman government, they, they are also deemed as unclean by the priests in that day and age. They're unclean, but the, but the priests, nobody else can do anything about, about that. They can't do anything to them because the tax collectors are backed by the Roman government. Can't do anything. But they're treated as unclean. They, they hate these guys. Loathe the Jews, the, the priests. They loathe these guys. So you go up, you pay your taxes, you're not happy about that anyways, paying taxes to this other government, this other empire. So the tax collector takes that money, okay, this is for the Roman Empire, this is for Caesar, now I want some for me. Okay, you, well, you, got, you got like $1,000 in your account over there? I want that $1,000. I want that. Oh, you don't want to pay that? Well, I got Big Mike right here, the Roman soldiers, with a sword and a spear, and he'll haul you and your whole family off to prison if you don't want to pay. And these guys would do that all the time. That they made their living. They would get very wealthy, rolling up in a Rolls Royce and a big old mansion off of everyone else's money, taking the last dime from like some little old lady or something or some family that can't even barely feed their kids. That was these guys. And they got away with it all the time. There was nothing they could do. So these guys were the scum of the earth. And so if you imagine in this scene with me, Matthew is sitting at the tax collector's booth. And notice, don't miss this, he is in the act of the sin. He is in the middle of doing the very thing that he is loathed for, lower than sinners. In the act, as his money is staring him in the face. All these people, he may have just stolen a bunch of money from a little old lady or a family that had nothing for their kids. He may have just stolen it, staring him in the face. All of a sudden, off in the distance, there's Jesus. And Jesus is looking at him. This is in the middle of the act at his table. And he walks up to him. And then he talks to him. And he gives him the invitation to follow me. Follow me. And what we have to understand, guys, don't miss this, that Jesus didn't wait until this man was at least, you know, outside of the tax collector's booth. He didn't do that. Did he? Like on his lunch break, at least he's not in the tax collector's booth, which already would be a cultural, religious, like just shattering so many norms right there. Even if he talked to him, even if he wasn't at his tax collector's booth, or, or, you know, but, but no, he didn't do that. And, and he didn't wait until nobody else was around because, oh gosh, what, what will somebody think? What will somebody think if they see me talking to this guy? And here, of all places, what will somebody think about me? No, he didn't do that. He met Levi right where he was at, right in the act of his mess in this filth with everyone else around to see him. He met him where he was at, in the middle of his mess, and extended the invitation to follow me. Follow me. And we we can't skim past what happens in this text and the way that Jesus does this, how he does it. Because there's so many opinions that are floating around out there about how you minister to people or who we should minister to or or where we should minister to. You could ask all kinds of different Christians and get all kinds of different answers. Pastors, church leaders, get all kinds of different answers. Because hear me on this, the only opinion that matters is Jesus. And the only life and the ministry that we should model and follow our life after is Jesus's. And when Jesus ministered to people, he met them where they were at, in the middle of their mess. Right in the middle of their mess. And he calls every single one of us to be the same. And then check out what Jesus does next, because this story ain't through yet. Check this out. Verse 29. Then Levi, this is Levi. By the way, Levi is also Matthew, who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. Hosted a grand banquet for Jesus at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Again, their minds are blown. In every story in this text, Jesus has blown, he has shattered cultural, religious norms 
through the window, I mean like to bits and pieces, completely shattered them. Nobody's seen this. Nobody would think about this. Nobody does what Jesus is doing here. They wouldn't even fathom it. And so Jesus, in this scene, don't miss this, he is straight up having, he, he not only talked to Levi, one of the worst sinners around, again, even worse than regular sinners, I mean down here, scum of the scum, chief sinners, worst of the worst around. Nobody wants anything to do with this guy. But he not only spends time with him and talks to him, what is he doing now? He's in the dude's house. He is straight up in Levi's house. And he's about to share a meal with them. And they're talking. And like I'm sure probably even like, you know, sharing jokes. They're, they're talking about your life. Hey, Levi, tell me about your family. Okay, yeah, okay. And talking about different things. Of course he's talking about, you know, uh, salvation, all those good things too. But he's also just doing life with this dude right here in his house having a meal with him. But it's not just Levi and Jesus. Who else is there? There you go. Other tax collectors. To all the, the other worst, lowest of the low of the low of the low. All these dudes are there. And who else? Who else would be there? If it's, if it's some other friends, because it says other people too were there. So who else may, may be hanging out with Levi, the lowest of the low? If you are like the worst, worst, worst around, nobody even wants to talk to you, have anything to do with you, who are going to be your friends? If you invite them to your house, that would actually come to your house to eat. The other lowest of the low around in the community. So like Big Mike, he would be right there. Jesus would be surrounded by Big Mikes at this dude's house. Jesus is straight up having a meal with Levi and his gang of misfits, outcasts, and rejects that nobody would even fathom talking to, looking at, spending any time with. Jesus is in his house sharing a meal with these people. And he's doing it for everybody to see. He's not hiding this. Because check out what the tax collectors say. Because again, every story, the tax collectors, mind blown. Nobody does this. Blowing cultural, religious norms out of the water. The, tax, the, the Pharisees, sorry, they, they say to him, they ask him this question. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, what are you doing, man? What, what in the, nobody does this. What are you doing? That is not okay. You, that's that's that you cross the line, man. You cannot do this. What are you doing? And check out what Jesus says to them. Verse 31, we're going to end with this. Jesus replied to them, It is not for those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are what? They're sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Guys, what we have to understand is that even on our best day, the best day that you have, when you're spending time with God, you're worst listening to worship music, you can feel the Holy Spirit working through you. You just, you just led somebody, you know, to salvation, and it is great best day ever on top of the world. Jesus, this is awesome. I, I just feel your presence. You're working in my life. It's incredible. On your best day, we all are as filthy rags compared to a holy, righteous, and perfect God. And hear me on this. The only the one and only thing that separates any one of us as followers of Christ from any one of anybody else, wherever they are, whatever they struggle with, prison, wherever, whatever religion they practice, Muslims, let's, let's, let's make this really uncomfortable. The only thing that separates us from the leaders in ISIS, let's get real, is what? It's Jesus. The fact that we are covered and the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus, not our own, in Jesus's. And so when the Father looks at us, he no longer sees our filth. He sees the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that separates us from anybody else. Because Jesus came for messy people. And thank God that he came for messy people because every single one of us is messy. But Jesus reaches down, he meets us where we're at in the middle of our mess, and not just at salvation, every single day, every moment of every day, he is reaching down right now to me and helping me. Every moment of every day, and he meets us right in the middle of our mess. And guys, he calls us to do the same, to meet other people around us 
on a consistent basis, right where they're at, step into their situation, meet them where they're at, in the middle of their mess. Worship team, you guys can come on up. And listen, if, if you're here today and, and you are struggling really badly and, and maybe you're somebody that's never responded to the gospel and, and maybe there's somebody here today that what's really held you back is this feeling, this thought that you've got to wait until you've got other things under control, whatever that may be in your life, a relationship or uh, addiction or whatever it may be. Yes, there is repentance turning away from the idols and turning to Jesus but listen it's not in perfection it's not about you waiting until you get to perfection it's simply saying Jesus I cannot do this on my own it's like being pulled back by this thing in my life I can't do anything about it and the more that I try to get away from it and try to move in your direction the more it tries to pull me back and I've kept on trying to wait until I move in your direction I get closer to you so I can respond I've been waiting for this but it keeps pulling me back more and more and more because that's what it does it's not about us waiting until we get to a certain point where we're close enough to Jesus to respond. It's about crying out to Jesus because I am so drowning. I am drowning to death. I can do nothing. Jesus, save me. That's what it is. And if you're here today and that's you, man, I just want to encourage you to respond. Just to cry out to him right where you're at. Or if you're here today and you're, you're a Christian and you've been struggling in some area of your life, maybe you've Maybe you've really been sitting inside of a comfort zone. And there's all kinds of different comfort zones that we sit in. And Jesus has been calling you to step outside of that comfort zone. Guys, today's the day. Right now is the day. And I want to encourage you, if that is you, I want to encourage you to respond. We're going to have a prayer team over here. We've actually already got the prayer team set up. And so please go get prayer. We'd love to talk with you. If you have any questions whatsoever, there are no stupid questions. We'd love to, to talk with you. We don't have all the answers, but we'd love to just talk with you, pray with you. The altar is open. I'll be over here. I'd love to talk with you. Whatever is going on in your life, you respond. You respond. We're going to stand together, and as we sing this last song, you respond to whatever God's putting on your heart. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I, just want, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. But I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life God and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self 
and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.